Hello and welcome to Stress Less with me, Jess. Today, my special guest is Deborah Driscoll. Hello, Deborah. How are you? Hello. I'm well, thank you. I'm so excited to uh, have you on here because I just love the name of your company, Big Magic. I think it just says so much with this, uh, big life magic. I already messed that up. Big life magic. I apologize. But I just think it just says so much about who you are. I think this shows cases your big personality in, in, a, in a, a lightful way. And then it also just shows what you're trying to bring to people. So I just think it's so cool. So let's get right into who you are. You're an author, a spiritual teacher, and a founder of Big Life Magic. But you really focus a lot on that grief piece because you have a memoir of grief and it's called The Series of Surrender. And I was reading a lot of reviews from people at from your reading your book. And I think you, how well you connected with a lot of people, I think speaks again to who you are and what you're really trying to represent. So I love that. So you have taught spiritual development and healing practice for over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you look like you're 25. So well, like- maybe that's the spiritual practice. <laughs> <laughs> the core of your work is the heart repair. And I love how you say this is the heart repair and the transformation from the big loss to the big life magic. Because as you're, you're being a spiritual teacher and you're talking on grief, we really tend to get hyper-focused on the loss and we can get, I don't know, the right word is stuck there. And that can be really hard. Do you mind sharing your story on your journey on how you got to where you are now? Absolutely. I invite sharing this story and other stories that um, I have the privilege of listening to and interacting with, because I don't think we speak about this enough. Like I, I believe we are actually grief illiterate, you know, huge parts of the world, not all cultures, not all parts of the world, but where you and I are hanging out, Jessica, and probably a lot of your listeners are. So I was, you know, nobody who kind of set out with on the vision board, oh, I want to be a grief guide. This is what I'm going to specialise in. This is what my life has shared with me. And I say shared with me because it is something that has deeply influenced my life and also shared with me a deeper understanding of spiritual practice and how we heal. Because what I say is hearts break and souls bounce. And our heartbreak is actually soul designed in order to give us an opportunity to pay attention to our heart, what I call our energetic heart, to work on the repair because in turn we're soul expanding. And I don't say that from a light place. Like I don't say that from, you know, just the theory and the woo of we all want a soul evolve. For I'd been working in spiritual practice for almost 20 years as a teacher and a facilitator and a healer in clinical practice. And then one day, which is over 10 years ago now, um, I woke to a new day and my son, Sage Joseph, did not. It was one month before his 11th birthday and there was no warning. You know, he wasn't ill. He, the, he wasn't, you know, there was no disease known of. There was nothing on his outside body to say why. I just went to wake him that morning and he had already slipped away in the night. So I met my big life loss. And that propelled me on a journey of really wanting to understand why 
why do our hearts have to break? And it's, and you know, because everything I had learned and developed and was teaching and sharing up until that point, everything was challenged. All of the beliefs that I had. And they also held me at the same time. Like, you know, an example of that being, you know, one of them, a lot of people will say, you know, the universe always has your back. Right? You hear that a lot. And I remember in the days after my son Sage died, I was like, okay, so as how is this in my best good? Like if that's actually something I believe, how could this be good? And, you know, that propelled me on my own journey from my big life loss to my now lived big life magic, which wasn't an easy journey, but also a journey I took willingly because I did. I, curiosity propelled me to wanting to understand more about um, the human experience of grief because for me, my big life loss is Sage's death. For somebody else, it could be a divorce or a diagnosis, a dream that doesn't come true, but it's a part of our human experience and it's a part that we don't necessarily know how to successfully grieve. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing your story um, and the way you shared it and stuff. And I, I think what sat with me a lot was the way you spoke about how you were able to wake up your son wasn't. And I think that says a lot. So a lot of times when we go through life, it's very easy to look at a lot of the woes in our life and we can get really caught up in those, but mm -hmm. forgetting the importance of I woke up today. I have this choice of how I want to look at today. And I think in your story, you really tell that. So I want to say thank you for sharing that part. Yeah. Thank you. And there was, you know, that was also a conscious choice. I think we also consciously choose to heal or grieve or not grieve and within the couple of days after Sage's death I I met this curiosity around what's possible and a part of what helped me on my own lost to magic journey was I made um, some promises to myself and the first promise I made to myself is I'm going to wish the best for myself because my fear is that people would pity me oh you know oh poor Deborah she lost her child and it was like that is a great fear of mine. Like I, you know, want to stand as a strong, resilient, spiritually connected woman. So anyone pitying me was just like, oh, no, I'm not getting on the pity train. That's not my story. And so I was aware of that and I was like, well, how can I counter that? How can I add love and healing into that? And it was like, well, to wish the best for yourself. And I think when we actually make the choice to say yes to the grief and the loss, however it turns up in our life, we are wishing the best for ourselves because that means we're, we're consciously choosing to work on our heart repair. Yeah. Wow. I, sorry. I'm just like, I'm going, wait, I have to ask questions. I'm just sitting going, oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, that heart repair. But I think you also mentioned earlier too was the four Ds. And I yes. like this part too, because it's something I had talked about before we got on the call was it's not just physically losing somebody, right? And it's not just the first word death, but there's three other words. And you mentioned some of them, which was, you said death, divorce, dream. And there was one more diagnosis. diagnosis. So I call them the four D's of loss. And the reason I developed the four D's of loss is for exactly what you said. Death gets too much attention. People think that death 
arrives following like grief is what follows the death like death arrives and we're allowed to grieve even then it's at the funeral and for a certain amount of time after like we've still got some twisted stuff around grief and death but I've worked with so many people who their loss and their grief was not recognized by them or people around them through a divorce a diagnosis or a dream that doesn't come true and so, you know, sometimes their grief process is, is really delayed because it's not even recognised immediately. But it's there. Do you think when we go through, let's take, like you said, take death off the table just for a hot second. Hmm. You think about everything else, divorce, diagnosis, dreams that don't come true. And we don't recognize that we're going through this grief stage. People around us doesn't go through this, doesn't recognize we're going through this grief stage. Do you think, cause you used this word earlier and I think so many people can relate to it. They don't want that pity. So they mask what they're going through and they just keep pushing through. So months down the road, that's when they have the, the reaction. Yeah. There's a couple of different responses. So one is just denial. Like, like not even connecting to it. And that can often happen if what's happening around you is demanding that you turn up for hospital visits, that you need to deal with the, the fine print and what the lawyers are saying when, you know, you have to just get on with your life. Like, sure, the dream didn't come true, but the kids have still got to go to school. Like, you know, life happens. And so it can be easy for us to deny. Yeah. Another thing that happens is what I call the Band-Aid. There's the little bit of attention. There's the washing out of the wound and then you put the Band-Aid on and you think, okay, well, I've healed that now. But the Band-Aid doesn't stick. And when the Band-Aid starts to unstick and gets all kind of like not working anymore, we wonder why we're not feeling that well. And then another is the numbing of it all. The drinking, the overworking, overeating, shopping, obsessively taking care of others instead of self. That's another form of denial and burial. And, you know, it's a part of also the, our human way of responding to the trauma of the loss is wanting to, to find these ways to found, find new ground and make yourself feel okay. So I never kind of come at it with, any judgment or shame because, you know, if you ask me in my grief journey, did I put a Band-Aid on? Yep, at times I did. Did I deny it and did I overwork? Yep, I did that too. Like that's another part of why I think people respond to a series of surrenders is because I tell the truth. I tell the whole story, the parts where I was doing grief really well and learning a lot about our human hearts and how we heal and other times where I was the woman on a mission to do anything other than grieve. Because it's, it's really hard. It's a tricky edge to being human. And also, it's fertile ground for magic. Yeah. Yeah. Can you speak on that part a little bit? So we're talking about the process. We're talking about that grief is in different ways. Hmm. When you talk about the big life magic, tell me what that's like, because I feel when we're in the woe of it, right? We're in it, we're feeling the hard parts. 
maybe we're giving ourselves a pity party, everything in between, we can't get out of bed, can't shower. How are we supposed to know that this big life magic's coming? Like that just seems when you're in that moment, like no way, no way. So can you tell me a little bit more about that big life magic? Yes, indeed. So big life magic actually started with this idea of this little life. So a few months after Sage had died, a friend um, graciously gave me access to a holiday house in a small fishing village. So I was still living in Australia at the time and I just needed to be on my own to kind of find ground with where was I, what was, how was I going to journey through. So I was in this little fishing village where each day I'd meditate, make my way to the water, either walk or run, cry, scream, howl. You know, I just spent two weeks just, you know, feeling my feelings and working through it. And one day I'm walking towards the water and I hear in my ears, because I'm listening to my music, I hear the words of Claire Bowden. She's an Australian singer-songwriter. She's an amazing woman, beautiful work. And there's this song and one of the lyrics says, I will not, I will not live a little life and I heard that and it sounded like it was singing directly Claire was singing to me Jessica you know and I was like that's right I will not live a little life and as I'm walking to the water I was like I have no idea how to live a big life in the face of all of this I'm barely coping each day but when I heard that it was like it seeded in me of like, that's right, there is something here. I can make a choice to not live a little life. So it began with that. That's why Big Life Magic is called Big Life Magic because it was like, it's not that I'm not living the little life. I'm living the big life with the magic. And the magic part comes into the fact that no matter how the grief arrived in your life, it's not about the thing that happened or the person you lost, it's all about your heart. So if someone dies, your heart breaks. If you divorce, it's heartbreaking. Like it's no matter what happened, it's about your heart. And our hearts break. And the magic is actually in the repair because when we repair our energetic heart, it's the same as if we're repairing a muscle in our body. So. If you were to do some bicep curls and the next day, because you're trying to get some nice toned arms, the next day your bicep hurts and you think, oh, I've done a good job. I'm building muscle. And you do. If you continue to do that over time, your bicep will form and, you know, you'll get the nice toned arms that you want. Same thing happens with our energetic heart. It hurts before it gets stronger. So when you're working the bicep, it hurts the next day because you've literally torn and stretched the muscle fibers. And then the body's intelligence puts those muscle fibers back together and in in doing so, strengthens the muscle fiber, hence creating the sculpted muscle. Same thing with your energetic heart. It breaks. You put those heart threads back together intentionally, not with the Band-Aid, not with the river of wine, not with over-shopping or overworking, but intentionally working at putting those threads back together, you have in turn strengthened the capacity of your heart. The stronger your heart is, the more magic you can hold. 
I'm literally sitting over here. I always take notes during the calls and I just feel I have so many notes from just the, the quick interview that we're having. So I, I know the listeners are as well. I feel a question that's coming up for me is, you know, you, you lost someone that's obviously so dear in your life. I think a lot of times when I hear people speak about losing somebody, they think they're going to forget about them or they don't want to do something because they don't want to forget about them or make them feel like they weren't important in their life. Do you have any suggestions for someone that might be feeling that way? Yeah, that was my experience. Like in my first year, I was really sure that I was doing such a good job of grief. And I was. And I was also so deeply connected to my son. Like I didn't want to let him go. I could hear him literally in spirit saying, Mom, I'm fine. You can let me go now. And it wasn't really until I moved, you know, deeper into my process that I really connected with this and I understood why people don't want to let the person go and this fear that they'll be forgotten. But what I like to share with the people I work with, and this is absolutely my experience, is the person has left earthbound. It doesn't mean your love relationship with them needs to end. You can allow the relationship to evolve. I am still deeply connected to my son. And when I speak about him, I speak about him as say to my son, but actually to me personally, he is now one of my master teachers and he's somebody I'm working on creating a relationship with so I can hear him clearly so we can write a book together. So that relationship has absolutely evolved over the past 10 years because in the first year, even the first two years of Sage's you know, death and my grieving process, I did not want to let go. I feel like we talked about a good chunk of things today um, that hits, I think, everybody in a different way. Mm-hmm. What's the one thing you want the listener to take away today? It's all about your heart. And you get to choose. Yeah. No matter what happened or is happening, Your heart is yours and your heart wants to stretch and grow. And every time you work on your heart, you're also working in concert and co-creation with your soul. So no matter what's happening, you can always just stop, pause, breathe and just breathe into your heart because your heart and your soul and you, you've actually got this. Yeah. So for the listener that's, like I said, taking down the notes, falls in line with some of the four Ds, dream, diagnosis, divorce, or death, and they want to be part of this big life magic. Mm. What is the best way for them to contact you? Biglifemagic.com is the home where it's all living, all of the links to whether it's my book or other writing or working with me in either a group program or one-on-one. But I also have a membership where there's a virtual community of people who connect regularly to work on their spiritual practice. But everything you're going to find at biglifemagic.com, I think if you just go to the home, you can just navigate through all the rooms on the website to find what you need. I love that. Deborah, before I let you go, I did warn you about the lightning round. Are you ready? I am so ready. (laughs) I'm so excited. Okay. 
Um, what is your favorite dish, like dinner or something to cook? Mm. I do love to cook lasagna. Oh, mm. I like that one. What never fails to make you laugh? The Graham Norton show. <laughs> Finish this phrase. The way to my heart is with chocolate. Are you a morning or an evening person? Morning. Do you have a salty or a sweet tooth? It's kind of both. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, what was your first job? My first job was as a babysitter. And what is your favorite store to go to or shop at? Mm, there's a designer, a Spanish designer called Desigual. I love their clothes. Oh, love it. Always a good clothes store. Trevor, mm. I can't thank you enough for just hopping on today and just enlighten us. Like I said, I would, I forgot that I was an interview at some point because I'm just going, oh, wait, I have to ask questions. I was just so <laughs> listening to everything you were saying. So I just re really appreciate you for coming on today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who's been listening.